0: because he's powerful because he's the creator because he's all-knowing and he's all-wonderful but but Kayla said something interesting to me man it caught me I don't know if that word that she spoke affected you but it did me see I, I sing Jesus' praise because he took me a worthless man he made me not worthless <laughs> and he did the same for you we are worthless without Him because we're nothing without Him. He is in all things. He is of all things. He is the all-powerful. There's nothing from Him that, that can have life because He is life. He took us who are worthless. And He made us not worthless anymore. Because He, the way she said it, I love it, the highest King. He's the highest King. Lord, You are holy. Pray with me, Lord. Lord, Lord, you are holy. You're greater than us. And we acknowledge that this morning. You took me a sinner. And you set me free. I'm not worthless. Because you are holy. And everybody said amen. And amen. Hope you guys are doing okay this morning. My name is Beck. You can be seated. Uh, pastor Alex is on vacation until the second week of August and, and, uh, pastor Johnny is on vacation as well. And so you guys are stuck with me. Sorry about that. Rick is, uh, preaching down in the Springs today. And so, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Last week, I promised that I would share with you a little bit about my vacation time that we just got finished with. This is going to load in here in just a second. Sorry about that. And uh, last week, we talked about the fly I saw in Chicago. If you weren't here, you didn't miss anything. It's just a stupid story. Uh, like I said, my wife and I, we went on, on a road trip 4500 miles we did 15 states we were all over the place my mom uh she moved away when i was a little kid to florida and since she has moved uh right on the north carolina georgia line yes north carolina and georgia border each other look at a map while we were there she has a bunch of land that she's developing i like to fish so we did some fishing and and stuff We, we went shooting my stepdad is a Well, he lives in the Appalachians, so he's got like 110 guns or something ridiculous like that. And he said, let's go shooting. Well, Lindsay never shot a gun before. I have video footage of the first gun uh, she ever uh, got to shoot here. Let me see if I can get it rolling. Negative. Sorry. Hold on. Technology. Okay. Kevin, you just press play on that. We're going to watch this and then I'll give you a little backstory. (laughs) the gun shoots her. (laughs) A couple more shots here. (laughs) My wife is a, is a powerful woman, man. She's a strong lady. She's a college athlete. She is a, a, a tough old gal. Uh, I repent, my dear. <laughs> uh, but that gun shot her. Now, the funniest piece is with the audio, because she's a little nervous. We'd shot some smaller guns. That's, that's a 45 It doesn't really matter. It's a powerful gun. And so she's kind of learning how to do this, and it's sort of fun, sort of scary. The power of if you've never shot a gun before is, is exhilarating. It's a lot. And so you're supposed to lean forward when you shoot a gun, and you can see in the video she kind of starts to like, uh, <laughs> lean back, you know, and then the gun kind of takes off. And at the end, she goes, "Honey, you have to finish because my palms are so sweaty." <laughs> I can just hear. And she shots that gun the first time. She goes, "Boom, ooh." <laughs> uh, so it was it was a lot of fun there. We gotta we gotta shoot some stuff, and I caught some fish. She caught her first fish on a fly rod, no less. Now she didn't want to touch the fish. So you just let it, poor thing, suffer there hanging, like, what do I do, what do I do? <laughs> this fish is swinging way out, a little flounder, it was a bad deal. Uh, but we had a lot of fun. Today, we're going to continue in the book of Nehemiah. We are starting the eighth chapter, and today's message is called The Rules of the House, a study in the Word and the way God wants to do church. We just taught a class here at ESS not too long ago called The Bride That Christ Is Looking For. And it was an in-depth study on the on the church that God is looking for. And we call it a five-fold church, the gifts of the church. How did we get to where we are today? You ever wonder that? Why do we do church this way? Why are the chairs set up and the stage and the worship? Why do we use the Bible and not any other book? Why is it on Sunday? There's a history not only to God's people, but to the way God's people gathered. Some of it is authentic. Some of what we do is biblical. And it gets, it doesn't get the respect it deserves. And some of it, well, we'd be better off without it. I want to talk to you guys today about the, when we go way back into Nehemiah's day, in this first church service, in this restored people as they've built the wall, what, What God did there. So, just so you know, Nehemiah built the wall, or Nehemiah is away from God's people. If you haven't been here before in the book of Nehemiah, Israel is a dilapidated nation. They have no wall. Ezra is sent years beforehand, about 15 years, and he builds the temple. Now there are people with a temple, but they're out, they're not a people with a, with a city. They have no walls to defend themselves. Nehemiah feels on his heart to go to Jerusalem, the city we're talking about, the kingdom we're talking about, and build this wall in 52 days he convinces the nation of Israel to construct this wall so they can have a defense system against the world we preached a long time ago about there's a difference between being inside and being outside the wall that a lot of times in church we have this like weird blend of Christianity anything goes in God's kingdom there is an inside and an outside. It distinctifies God's people. Now, anybody's welcome, but when you come to the kingdom of God, you have to operate by the rules of the house. And so here we are, and this this wall is erected, just like this uh, room here. There's walls that surround us on every side, and they're inside of God's kingdom, but they're not God's people yet. They haven't been restored back to who he said they were to be. In chapter uh, 7, we read Nehemiah bringing Ezra up to read their history. Remember all the names I had to read? You guys applauded. I appreciated that. I got some more names today. I've been practicing. That uh, these names brought back a, a nostalgia of where these people, it would be like talking about our Declaration of Independence or our Constitution or having somebody read your family history. I didn't know this, and you probably don't care, but my family, uh, on my mom's side, actually were one of the founders of Grand Junction. My great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather was the sheriff and the judge. Now, that's messed up. <laughs> judge and executioner. He was, uh, they, they, I, have, I have a history in this city. They were pioneers. I come from a big Italian family. I have a history, and when that, when that history is read to me, it lets me know who I am because of who I've been. You have a history as well. And the Bible says that when we are adopted into his kingdom, we become his children. We're a part of his family and his family has a history. His family is accepted in his family, though, has been far away, can be drawn near because of what he has done. And this is what it's like when God takes a member of his family, the nation of Israel, who has who has pushed away from the Lord. Any of you parents ever had that teen rebellion in your household? They push away. This is how God restored his people back to him again. By inviting him into the house and talking about the rules of the house. Chapter seven ends with this kind of odd line he goes through this family history and if you you have your bibles with you you can see in chapter seven that there's this reference to all god's people being there and it was in it was in the seventh month why record that why is that important the seventh month in the jew whoa hello The seventh month in the Jewish calendar has three prominent feasts. Just like we have holidays uh, today in America or in our culture, um, God under Moses set these feasts in order so that the people of Israel could always be reminded about their lineage and their history and what God had done at certain moments in their life. There was three feasts in this month, the the seventh month, which was the uh, Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. Everybody say booths going to be very important, as we talk about in chapters 8 through 10, God restoring the nation of Israel back to becoming the people who he always said they were. So chapter 7 ends with this uh, idea of the seventh month, and then chapter 8 begins on the first day of the seventh month. We're going to read 12 scriptures here, but all of this takes place in one day. We all caught up? Okay, let's jump into the word I'm going to open my Bible real quick. We're in chapter 8, verse 1. Okay. You, if you don't have your Bible with me, you can follow along on the screen. I'm sorry, that's hard to he- see. We'll make sure to change that for next time. First 1 says this, chapter 8, And all the people gathered as one man in the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. Uh, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand all um, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse four. And Ezra, the scribe, who's the same person as the priest, he was a scribe and priest, uh, stood at the wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Madaniah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Makajah, Hashem, Hashem, sorry, ha that's a hard one, Zechariah, uh, uh, on his left hand. Thirteen people in total. Ezra opened the book in his Uh, in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people and when he opened it the people stood up verse 6 then Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered amen amen while lifting their hands they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground seven And Yeshua, Benai, Sherbiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabannai, or sorry, Shabani, Shabani, Hodiah, Messiana, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the 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 Levites explained the law to the people, and the people remained in their place. They read, the, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating it to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy for the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send the portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And twelve, all the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions to celebrate the great festival because they understood the words which had been known, made known to them. Typically, when we read um, the Bible for our personal reading, anybody do that? Read like a devotional or read in the mornings or something. We're looking for something that affects us directly. A psalm or a proverb. um, Some story in the Bible that is easy to relate to. That doesn't require historical context. I'm telling you, you're leaving money on the table if you do that. That we use the book of Leviticus or... uh, uh, the proverbs or or, sorry the the prophets like nehemiah and habakkuk and so forth they they require so much historical background that it's hard for us to read and understand and therefore comprehend and gain a a, a tentative to that we could apply it to our life that's not true see i know who i am because i know my history I know that I can have my chin up and my shoulders back because my father's father's father, my grandfather survived the Great Depression. Listen to this. He did so in Moab, Utah by taking old crude oil that people weren't using anymore and tamping it into the dirt and making a golf course. My 13 year old grandfather without parents survived all by himself by making a golf course. See, that's the family I come from. I know that there's something in me because of the bloodline I'm about. Now that's making golf courses and surviving and making money. It's a good story. But when you become a Christian, you're a part of a whole new bloodline and you have a whole new history. And if you don't know that history, how could you know what's in you? How could you know the person you are who here struggles with character? Man, I struggle with character. You ever lied before me? You ever cheated before? I have. You ever stole before? Check the record. I've been in trouble But I don't get out of trouble by learning how to do things right and walk the walk and talk the talk and pretend my life away. You know where real transformation comes from? By somebody revealing to you what's actually in you. By saying you are a sinner, but let me tell you about who you are. Who you really are. Who you really are is the son of the most high God. Who you really are, like Kayla said, isn't worthless. Who you really are is worth dying for. That's who you really are. Let me tell you about your history so that you can become who you really are. This is how Christ uses his word to draw what's in you out of you. The Bible says that for those who come become Christians, he dwells in them. So what's in you is the power of God. It gets revealed by the word of God, not a fancy story, not a cool uh, uh, preacher who's really enlightening and wears bright yellow shirts that those that doesn't matter. But the word does because it pulls out of you what's in you. If you're leaving the Old Testament alone because it's too hard and there's too much history and it's hard to conceptualize and apply to my life, you're leaving money on the table. This is an obscure set of scripture. But let me tell you this, we're going to go through it line by line and verse by verse. And my hope is today that not only do you get something applicable from the word, but you realize that maybe I can read every word and apply every word. Because the whole of who God is and the power of the whole of God's power rests in that word. The very thing that will change the world rests in the in the lap that you sit in your lap. We have to realize that this morning is a powerful thing. Not applied with good teaching, not applied with a devotional, not applied when we go to seminary and we learn all about it. It's a powerful thing right now, and it's accessible right now. Make sense? Okay, so we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through each verse today. So there's two lessons involved. The first is the word of today. I hope that it applies and encourages you this morning. And the second is that we can read each word, and each word can give life to us. Make sense? Okay, here we go. Verse 1. Sorry. Also, Jesu, uh, sorry. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. All right, there you go. I'm faster than the computer. Can you believe that? And all the people gathered as one man. Everybody say one man. And you're not, um, at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to. Israel these people have been scattered all over together. There's almost segments of their unity They're all over the place. They're getting beat up. They get a little bit closer together. They construct this wall They they achieve this great purpose and now they're all gathered together in one place. Listen to me Restoration requires unity The Bible says how can two men walk together unless they agree? How can Steve-O and I be walking in the same direction unless we agree to do so? You're having the the, the, the foundational moments of transformation where God has worked in my marriage hasn't been where we figured out who was right and who was wrong. It's where we came together with a common good saying, we're going to win this. We're going to be unified together. Let me tell you something about unity. It's going to require a lot more of letting go than it is holding on. Ah, we got to be unified. So we got to buckle down and hold arms and, and no, that's not really it. The biggest step of unity is willing to say, whatever it takes to be unified with you, I'll let it go. Whatever it takes for me to be a part of this community, to be inside the wall, whatever it takes for me to be inside of God's kingdom, I will let that thing go to be in here. Will you let whatever you need to go part of your schedule go to be unified in here? Man, that's a tough one. Can we let our our family traditions or maybe our bank account or our budget or um, our mornings, our snooze button go because we are going to let some stuff go in order to grab some stuff together? These people put their differences aside. These are not an organized people. These are a traditionally split, divided people. And here they are in unity. And what they're calling for Is the word verse two? And Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could understand on the first day of the seventh month. This book is called Nehemiah. Why are they talking about Ezra? Here is the stepping forward of this prominent player. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are actually one book. They still haven't been divided. Later in the canon of the Bible, they split them into two. In fact, due to writing and my very little understanding of Hebrew. I would contend that Ezra actually wrote Nehemiah from his first-person view. They're very similar together. They're contemporaries. Ezra was in Jerusalem only 14 years before Nehemiah comes. They're sent from the same king. Ezra comes and builds the temple. He's the priest taught to help and teach and bring these people back to the word. And then Nehemiah comes and builds the wall. The lesson here is... Plurality of leadership. Nehemiah is the leader, right? He's the organizer. He is the governing picture, but he gives Ezra his due because that's his gift. Nehemiah can have a leader with him and not have to forfeit his own leadership. Husbands, you can do that in your household, teammates, friends, business owners. You will never be everything to all people. And we're so used to in the church, the pastor being the Sunday morning preacher, the counselor, the financial understander of how the church is going to work, the listener to God, the proclaimer to all people, the healer, the funeral and wedding performer. He has to be all things to all people. Why do churches fail? Because we have a leader who's asked to be God. God. Nehemiah, understanding this, says, I will look at the big picture you teach these people. You have a gift in this church that nobody else has. Watch this. There's going to come a time and a season when I and this leadership around the room realizes that we will never be able to do the transformation of this city, our goal, without you. Some of you are in here like, man, I don't even have a Bible. What are you talking about? See, that doesn't matter. A part of God's kingdom says that many hands make light work. That there's stuff that my wife can do that I can never do. She types like a thousand nine words a minute. I'm still this guy. There's gifting that she doesn't have. She She would never like to preach. That's all right. I talk enough for the both of us. There's stuff that you have that we don't. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that he gave gifts to the church, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, to equip the saints for what? For the work of service. That this isn't a leadership telling all these weird, dumb people how to live their life. This isn't us, a body, growing together up into maturity. Nehemiah understands this way before we did. Ezra is also fulfilling the law. So Ezra comes to pronounce this book. Deuteronomy uh, 31.10 says this, Then Moses commanded them, At the end of every seven years in the year of counseling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, read the law to recount the people. Moses is asked by the Lord to tell the people as part of the law that every seven years will assemble all of the nation together and they will read the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. They would read the entire law to remind the people of the covenant they made with the Lord. Well, then the nation of Israel gets totally leveled. People scatter everywhere. This feast isn't taking place and it's supposed to take place in the seventh month after a little research before the first half of the seventh month. So here Ezra is on the first day. He's got all the people and he's thinking, oh, this is a holiday we haven't celebrated this is the beginning of a feast. We could do this now they 're thirsty for the word they haven 't heard it let 's gather all the people, and he is fulfilling the law. He reads the book from uh, cover to cover the law that was given to the Moses. It took about s- roughly five hours to complete the whole reading. These dudes and gals sorry guys and gals are standing for five hours at attention. <laughs> It says that the only people that weren't ex- expected to be there were those who couldn't understand, meaning small children. That's a common reference in the Scripture today. Now, not small children like, oh, they're first and second. grade, They can understand English. What he means is babies. We today, we categorize everything. We have ministries for old gray-haired people. We have ministries for little young people. We have ministries for married people, for young married people, for been married too long people, for divorced, now remarried people. We got, married, we got ministries for every grade you are in in school we got ministries for the people that like to be outside, play sports. We have ministries for the people that like to be inside and read the word together. We've categorized all of these people together. I believe that the Lord had a purpose for bringing the corporate body together. Have you ever heard a five-year-old pray? Man, it will mess you up. To hear a kid, a small little one, pour his heart out to the Lord. And if you're a little kid, have you ever seen? Have you ever watched a little kid look up at his grandpa or his uncle or somebody that he looks up to, some football player, and watch them pour their heart out to the Lord? That's the ministry right there. See, there's a lot of the leadership speaking to the people, and I agree with that. I think that that's right, and I want to. I want to speak in such a way that everyone would understand. I come from youth ministry. I don't have a problem with youth ministry at all. What I'm saying is that there's a time when everybody should be together because there's a ministry amongst the people where it doesn't all have to come from the front where a young girl could go pray for another man on the other side of the room and, and people could get together and lay hands on one another but we can't do that if everybody's separated out throughout the week oh man you can't be in here young gentlemen this is the silver streakers club that has actually happened to me i'm a part of the body does that make sense? That there's this corporate understanding everybody could understand. Verse three, he read uh, he read it from before the square, which was in front of the Watergate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Five hours standing, paying attention. We tend to fidget after 20 minutes in the pews. My question is this. Have people changed that much? Are we now incapable to stand for that long or utterly incapable to pay attention for that long? I don't think so. I don't think physiologically we've changed that much. But our expectation has. Our schedules certainly have. Now, I'm not going to make us read (laughs) the first five books of the Bible while you guys all stand up. The point, and this should be an encouragement, I'm not trying to come down on you, is this. That God's word is waiting to change the world. And you need to ask yourself, are you too busy to partake in it? There's about 8,700 hours in a year for you to operate in. Everybody's given that much. To read the Bible for an average person, cover to cover, would take about 90 hours of reading. That's less than 1%. To read the whole thing. There are devotionals out there, and there's time for you to spend in your morning, or in the evening, or whatever, where you don't study the Word with a devotional by your side, where you just read it. Where you just take it in. Where you're just reminded of one or two points. See, my job is not to entertain you. Man, if I do that, I failed. My job is not to preach from the Word and make it interesting and exciting. I failed again if I do that. My job is not to interest you to come back. My job is to preach the Word. Because the Word does the changing. The Word is eternal. I'll, I'm like a movie. I tell you this story all the time. I walk out of a movie, like a Spider-Man movie, and I'm I'm 30 years old almost. I just turned 29. I'm walking to the movie out of the movie to my car with my wife next to me, a grown man, like, Pfft. St- t- pretending I'm an action figure or some sort of a, a hero. A movie inspires me, but by the time I get home, I'm done. You can be inspired in a sermon. You can have a, a, an illustrative speaker or a great movie or an incredible worship set. But I'm telling you, those things, by the time you get home, they've already spent themselves. The word is the thing that changes you eternally. We have to separate ourselves from feeling good to knowing and trusting God that that transformation is taking place. Let me ask you this. Has your expectation changed to the point where you, when you walk in the door, do you expect to have your life changed? That's a tough one. Some of you have been coming on Sunday mornings for a long time. Have you made the decision to choose that because the word of God is being proclaimed in this room, I'm I'm expecting and I'm believing that my life is going to be changed? Or is it dependent on whether or not Beck is on? Or the worship is good, or the, the environment in the room? Those things are important. I'm not saying we need to just throw caution to the wind, but I am saying that a lot of this rests on what you are willing to hold on to and let go of. And I'll bet you this, if you expect to have your life changed, it will. And your need and desire and thirst for the word will go up. Trying to get up 15 minutes a day and read your word will work for like a week. It's like a movie. But saying God is going to change my life if I step toward him, if I'm willing, if I just yield to what he wants to do, the word will take your life and its course and adjust it. And he will restore you back to the people he's always said you were. Okay, let's, let's, we good together? We all right? Okay. This is like intense Bible study here. Verse four, we're going to go quick because we're, we're running close on time. As the scribe stood at the wooden podium, which the Lord had made for a purpose. And beside him stood all of these people. I'm not going to read the names again. Not all things are created equal. The Word should take a higher, more prominent view in your life. It absolutely should. Now, the podium wasn't erected so that we could exalt the Word. We don't want to do that. We've made that mistake in our history. The podium was designed so that it could be seen and heard because it's important. We've made the mistake of putting the Word way up in the air, and then we exalt the Word only, and that becomes our God. God is the Word. The Word isn't our God. Does that make sense? You can get stuck into, I don't need prayer, I don't need to fellowship, I don't need to come to church because I have the word and that's all I need. That's crap. Because that's not what the word says you need. So they exalt, they bring this word up on this podium so that Ezra can be seen and heard and this this book can be uh, uh, presented to the people. It needs to be important, but not so important that it becomes the only thing. It's funny how inv- advanced we are you know, a lot of people are using their cell phones for the Word t- this morning, or we drove cool cars with push-button starts, you know, to get here. But we still have the podium. We still have a man who's hopefully seen by all to present the Word. This isn't some phenomenon that we just can't figure out how to make into an app. Sure, we have broadcasts and televisions and stuff like that. not have a problem with any of those things. What I'm saying is I believe God had a very divine purpose for this style of presenting his word. The corporate people preaching together with a gifted leader who is asked by God to present the word in such a manner that it can be understood. That there's something holy about this. This isn't just the best way we could figure it out. Does that make sense? Which should encourage you to come to church, which should encourage you to bring your friends to church. Why? Not because it's a good message or because there's a fog machine in a great worship band or whatever. It's because it's holy to be here because God has designed it in such a way many years ago. And he's asked for it to stay this way. Make sense? God seems to have some divine reason for the word to be heard in person together from a leader gifted to teach and proclaim and usher in the power of God to a corporate people. This podium was made for a purpose, and that purpose was to get the word to people. Do you really want to change? Do you have an expectation that the podium is up, the word is going to be heard, and I'm going to receive it? I hope our mindset is like that when we walk in. Verse 5 and 6, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. From there he was standing above all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered them, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I love this. Have you noticed all the body parts they're talking about? They stood, they saw, they heard. They raised their hands, they lowered their face, and they worshipped the Lord with their heart. That God is calling to restore this whole body of every person. They all stood up. Sometimes getting right with God is as easy as standing up. We think it's so hard, and we think we're so far away, but the truth is, God is restoring these people, and all he's saying is, All rise. Now, we rise all the time. We rise for weddings. We rise when a judge walks in the room. We rise when the president walks in. We rise at the national anthem. But at none of those things do we ever fall to our face. God will take you through in His Word. If you will go to read it, He'll take you through this standing at attention. Man, He deserves to be honored. He deserves to be respected. To Falling to your face and saying, No, He's Lord. The only way to make that jump from one end to the other is through the understanding and receiving of the Word of God. The Word brings change. Expect it. They stood up in unity, respect, and attention, and then they fell down in unison again. But these aren't unified, respectful, and attentive people. He's taking these people that aren't these things and he's making them something that they've never been before. These are hoodlums covered in, in brick soot and, and mortar. They're not, they're, not, they're not these profound religious people that we think of historically the nation of Israel to be. These are a broken people. And when they stood up together and fell down together, all of a sudden, this whole atmosphere of who they were began to change. And the same can happen happen for us. Okay, seven. Also, I'm uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the, the list of people. We're going to get to the second half of seven. The Levites explained the law of the people while they remained in their place. Who's ever heard of the term elder? Elder. Elders need to be able to teach in the church. They're an important part of what we do. All of it doesn't have to come from Ezra. He read for five and a half hours or whatever. He was probably pretty tired when he's finished. He's saying, okay, now I'm going to sick the elders and the Levites on them. And they are going to teach. They're going to discuss with them what this word means. If you have a question about what's going on in your life or in your Bible, man, call the office. We'll put you in contact with an elder. They'll come to your home. You don't need to make them coffee or be exceptionally nice to them. They're there to help and teach you. I mean, that'd be nice especially if I come maybe you bring something to eat you know what i mean they're they're there to help to teach to ground you in the understanding of the word they made it presentable to those who were there Verse 8 is, again, it's a plurality of leadership. They read the book from the law, translating it so that they could understand. There's an order of service here. Can you believe it? These people stood up for five hours, and then they finished reading, and now all these sermons come, and they stay standing. These people are awesome. Old kind of Southern Baptist style. You go to church at 9 a.m., and you go home when it's dark. But there's this order of service that we see still in Jewish uh, synagogue today. They didn't have the temple constructed from the inside, so they did service outside. There was the reading of the word. Then there was uh, worship. Then there was teaching or sermons. Then there was corporate ministry together that you're seeing right here. And then finally, he said that there was a festival. There was a feast time together. That's still what we do today. Predominantly, there's different shapes and sizes of it. My hope is, is that our expectation, we don't put too much weight just on the worship. We don't put too much weight on what the pastor says. Or like me, put too much, man, I'm, I'm into the fellowship time. Where's the cookies? We get we get away from the word, which is the core foundational focus of these uh, uh, um, sir, sorry uh, Sunday morning services today. That the word should be the center focus. They preach the, or they, they, they read the word. They teach about the word. They worship because of the word. And then they minister together through the word. And then they fellowship together because of what they have become together in the word. Make sense? Okay. We're almost done. This is when it gets, uh, really interesting. I know I'm going a little over here. Uh, just bear with me. The Nehemiah, who is the governor, and as Ezra, the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught them, this is verse 9, uh, the people said to the people, this day is holy for the Lord, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. This is a prophetic tense. Here they are. They hear the word and then they start to cry and they're saying, don't cry. This is actually a prophetic verse. And. To tell you how prophetic it is, they're talking about a time way in the future, even from today, farther away uh, in the future than we are from Nehemiah to a time called tribulation in the end times. you will read about that in the book of Revelation. We have a study going on on Wednesday nights uh, starting in August. Again, that we're going to go through the book of Revelation. And we're talking about tribulation right now. But in order to talk about that time in uh In the future, we have to kind of go back in the past. I know that this can be confusing. I'm calling this the Back to the Future segment. Zechariah, who's before Nehemiah and Ezra, prophesied from the Lord, saying the nation of Israel will encounter um, an understanding of what they've done through the hearing of the word, and they will weep. Now, they're not talking about this time. That's the first prophecy. Now we get to Nehemiah. That's the second time talking about the future. It says this. Uh, Zechariah 3-10 through It will come about in the day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone For all the people who will lift and be severely injured He's talking about the nation of Israel Who is being just bombarded against in the uh, tribulation That they're being pressed on from every side And just like in Nehemiah it says that the war was raging from every side of the wall Jerusalem is being pressed down upon Okay, And there's nothing that they can do But then it says that the Lord will come and defend them He says that he will lift them up and it says that they will realize and mourn like they've, lo- like for their only, for, for their firstborn son. If we get to, uh, verse 10, and I will pour out on the house of David, um, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the spirit of grace and, and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns only for a son, for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In tribulation, the nation of Israel, the difference between Jews and Christians is we don't; ex- they don't accept Jesus as the Lord. They will be brought down upon from every end. The Antichrist will be pressing upon them. And the Lord will come down and he will restore them and save them. And they will look on Christ who they've pierced. They will mourn him like a son who's lost. They're weeping because the thing that they said is not the God comes and saves them as God. We see the same picture in Nehemiah. They're reading the word and they're realizing that they've rejected God and His law for so many years. That they they built their own houses before they built the temple. That they cared for themselves and they rejected God and then the very thing they rejected has come and pronounced their word and said, look, I'm going to take care of you. The power of God is going to restore you. Dry your eyes. That's the grace that we've been given. And the same is true for us. Who has rejected God? I have. One day the word was preached to me on campus. And it was like the very God I had rejected was lifting me up and saving me. I wanted to weep like he was my son. He's saying, don't cry. This is a day of celebration. So many times when I have the pleasure of bringing somebody to the Lord through uh, through grace, I'm saying to them, don't cry. Right? They're saying, I'm so sorry, I've messed up. Yeah, we know that, but that's all been paid for. Stand up. Dry your tears. Today is a day of celebration. This is what's happening in the restoring of God's people. Do you see how God works? He restores this nation. We are a part of his nation. He restores us in the same way as children. He takes the broken thing and puts it back together. And at the end of time, the one whom they have pierced, who I was involved in piercing, will stand and he will take care of us in our tribulation. And he'll say, dry your tears. For nothing can hurt you now. At the end of the book of Revelation chapter 22, it says that uh, <clears throat> when the Lord creates the new heaven and the earth, there'll be no more crying. There'll be no more weeping. As it says in Nehemiah, because the Lord is our strength. If you've probably read that song or sang that song before, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's saying this, that God is so excited and happy about what he is doing, the work that he is doing. It's like somebody that just starts to laugh uncontrollably. Don't you start to laugh? The power of God is so moving through his word. And he's so interested in restoring his people that when we allow it, it will become our strength because of what he's doing. May we never allow our own conviction eclipse God's joy. Because what he is doing is greater than whatever you've done. Okay, we're almost finished here. So the Levites 11 and 12, uh, they all uh, claimed, they calmed all the people, sorry, be still for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions to celebrate the great festival, which is the festival of booths. We'll talk about that next week, because they understood the words, what had been which had been made known to them. I think about Nehemiah this time. He built the wall, but God had not finished building him. Everybody gets to partake in this restoration. His job was to do this construction project. The construction project is finished. He's handed off this realm of leadership to Ezra, who's teaching. He could just back away. But no, he is being restored as well. We'll see that in the book, uh, in the later chapters. God's ultimate goal isn't for us to understand the word, but it is to know it in such a way that it leads us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is his ultimate goal. And it cannot be done without the word. Let's go ahead and bring our worship team up here. We're going to close here. Can we get offering ready to go? I hope this morning that you're understanding not just the power of the Word and that it influences you, but that it influences you this morning. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that any who might believe in Him would have eternal life. Tonight, or this morning, I'm hoping for a response from the people in the same way we saw a response out of people who heard God's word. They were convicted. They were brought low. That's what the word will do. Man, it will reveal to you, and then it lifted you up. I pray that that happens this morning. Let's let's take up our offering, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get ready with closing. Lord, we just thank you for your word and for your work. We pray for the offering. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Alec Bailey to come up here real quick as you take up the offering. A response is an important thing. Okay, there's an important part of the service that is a, that is a you calling back to the Lord. Alex is going to talk to you a little bit, maybe if you've never uh, received the Lord or heard from the Lord. And then what we're going to do is offer given an, an offering for you to come up to the front, receive prayer in response. Okay, so here we go. Okay,
1: so I'm just gonna really quickly piggyback off of one of the last points that Beck was making here. Why are the people weeping at the end of that reading of the law? It's because it did something to their heart. They were confronted by God's standard for their lives. The law, if you go back and read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, a lot of these earlier books in the Bible, it lays out the standard of absolute perfection. This is what we would have to attain to to save ourselves. We can't do it. We cannot do it. Man is a sinner, and we cannot save ourselves. The Bible says this in Romans. And it, it, it makes more sense to us when we when we look at the character of God. See, God has this di- dichotomy of character. It's a couple of things. It says in, in 1 John 4 that God is love. That's who He is. And it's not this worldly, phileo, sort of friendship love that makes us feel sort of Disneylandish or something. It's this agape. It's this ruthless, reckless abandon, expressed in action kind of love that says, I, I don't care what it takes. I need to get to you. See, and, and how did he do it? How did he pay for it? It's, it's the person of Jesus Christ. All these g- crazy people up here just desiring to to express this, and people coming to proclaim that they they believe it, and we're congregation believing the same thing. It's that Jesus Christ. We understand who he was. John one one says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." In verse fourteen, is what it says. And it says that Christ, as you guys know from the Easter story, he died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sins and purchase a place for us in heaven. Guys, heaven is a free gift. It's free. It's free. We've all screwed up. We all have screwed up. Sin is anything that we think, we say, we do, or even don't do that falls short of God's perfect standard. Everyone in this room has done it. Everyone out there has done it. No one is any better. Everyone is equally needing of that grace. So how do we get it? It's faith. It's faith it's not a head knowledge the way I know George Washington is someone in history. It's not a temporary faith the way I'm on an airplane and, and there's turbulence all of a sudden and I'm praying God get me to the ground please I got to go see my family. It's trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Now you, you may have heard this message before or you may not have but right now if we could just give me a, just can we close our eyes here? Okay, I want to I want to take a step into this sort of supernatural, the spiritual element of our existence, okay? The, 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 it says in the Bible that the flesh and the spirit are set in opposition to one another. We want to give a microphone to the spirit right now, and we want to shut up the flesh. Okay, so we're going to step into this right here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing here in this place. Thank you so much for who you are, Lord. Your character is, is beautiful. You, it says in Habakkuk that your eyes are so holy that you cannot even look upon sin. That this perfect love and perfect justice where sin has to be punished, it's been satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. It says that that standard is perfection. I know you can't reach it, so I paid it for you. Come be in relationship with me. And so today, if if you've not done this before, you can raise your hand or, or come up or speak to somebody uh, here in the leadership but if you, if you have done this before this is also an invitation step back to it salvation is, is, is a one and done thing but sanctification the act of being made holy allowing the Lord to move us from one place to the next he wants us all to take a step today where have we not trusted him where have we not allowed the gospel to be effectual have we kept it to ourselves? Father God, we, we, we admit, Lord, that, that we have to an extent. That beyond even our, our recognition or consciousness that society and culture and the enemy have gotten our attention. But Lord, not right now. It's just us and you. And so Lord, I, I'm, I'm just thankful I'm thankful for what you're doing in these hearts. Lord, I pray that that they might be attentive to that today. That that wherever they go with the microphone that the Spirit has, um, that we hear and listen to what He says above what the world might say. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen.
0: Is that good to help you this morning? The Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to testify of the light so that all men might believe through him. And he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was, not made, was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and to those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave to be the the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he saw his glory in the glory of the only begotten Father, and the full of grace, who was full of grace and truth. If you want to respond to this, you're welcome to come forward and receive prayer. If you need to be with the Lord, that's fine. No one's going to mess with you. We're going to play this song. I hope that that's your benediction for today. I hope that you have a blessed week and that you too will be a partaker of the Word of God. Amen and amen. You guys are free to go. Thanks so much.
2: Jesus, all adore, join with them and bow before Jesus. Oh. Go! Uh-huh.
1: we thank you for what you've done here today. And we seek to honor you in all that we do. So be with us as we go from here today. Be with us in your power of your spirit, God. We give you all the glory and honor. Amen.
2: I've got that love, 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 love. I've got that love, 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 love. I've got that love.